Key Aero, your aviation destination. Historic Aviation. Hello and welcome. It's the Fly Past podcast. I'm Tara Leggett. I am the assistant editor of historic content at Key Aero. And this week, I am very excitingly joined by the gentleman from the Lightning Association. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello there. So should we just make some introductions here? So we have Charles, um, who is the chairman of the association, I believe. Yep, that's right. Yep. Hello. Um, hello. Next to next to him, we have Steve. Who? What? What's your role with the association, Steve? I'm uh, one of the volunteers. The the engineers, the volunteer engineers. Yeah. Perfect. And uh, John, I believe you're the head engineer, are you not? Yeah, I'm the chief engineer. Yes, that's correct. Chief engineer. Brilliant. Perfect. Well, how are you all today? You all surviving lockdown? Yes, <laughs> yeah, we're well, shrugging along. <laughs> yeah, we're fine. Sun's been Plodding shining. Along. Can't be that bad. bad. <laughs> Sun's been shining for once in England, has it? Yes, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Good to hear. Good to hear. So, um, I guess what we really want to know to start off with, guys, is you've all quite clearly got an interest in historic aviation, haven't you? And particularly the English Electric Lightning. So, what do you each remember? your first experience of either seeing one in the flesh or seeing one fly was it was it static um what what are your experiences let's start with you john well the first time i saw a lightning fly was at binbrook um in 1969 i think it was 1969 um, my, wow. dad, my dad did the public address systems at that time so i was involved as a little lad at the side of him being there watching this uh, Lightning thunder down the uh, air, air, uh, air circuit and uh, just go up into the sky with like two burning orange glows into the distance. What a spectacular thing to see. I bet. How old were you then? I was only four. Wow. What an amazing thing to see at four. I can imagine you just being completely mesmerised and not quite sure of what the hell was going on. <laughs> yeah, it sticks with you. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Charles? When was the first time you saw one? Well, I, I, it's difficult to remember the first time I actually saw one because I came to work in Lincolnshire and um, as a veterinary surgeon and a lot of my days in, uh, at that time was spent in large animal practice driving around the countryside. So they were all over the place. There were far right. more lightnings than buses, frankly. Um, <laughs> but I, I just I didn't pay too much attention to them. But then we knew that they were going to um, uh, end. So the most significant one, I think, was when I one one afternoon I was I was sitting in the garden in a deck chair with a beer, and this aeroplane goes over fairly low level, about five hundred feet in a tight turn, and I thought to myself, idly as you do, it would be nice to have some memento of these when they they stop flying at Bindrup because uh, yeah, uh, that that was where the um the the last squadrons flew from, and I live in Bindrup, so it was just up the road from me, and I, I started doing something about it, and here we are today. That's amazing. And so you were, obviously it's not, we're not talking about your sort of first, maybe your first memorable um, experience with a, with a lightning was, you know, living so close to that. I mean, I bet it was just incredible. I mean, I live in the Fens and occasionally we get, you know, um, typhoons, Eurofighters, that sort of thing. 
Um, yeah. Was it was it a bit like that, just sort of training and well, well, that sort yes, of thing? They, they, they were just in the air all the time, and um, they they were just almost part of the background. Uh, nowadays, you'd be standing there looking at them with goggled eyes, but in those days, it was yeah. just it was just daily daily life around this part of the world. Um, but Amazing uh, to think. when I when I I thought about this, I got in touch with British Aerospace. British Aerospace directed me to other places. I got in touch with the fledgling association that had already begun. The, the Lightning stopped flying in 1988, and um, the association began in uh, 1989. Uh, and I joined it, and then became very rapidly secretary, treasurer, and now and have, have been for many years chairman. Um, I have How exciting. Uh, a couple of uh, Lightning aircraft myself. We recovered um, an well, Like just in your garage or? <laughs> well, yeah, one's in my garden. Uh, the other one used to be in my garden beside it or opposite it. And it, it's now um, gone to uh, the Thorpe Camp Museum outside Coningsby, that Thorpe Tattershall, wow. Tattershall Thorpe, where it's uh, a bit of a, a draw, um, really, and um, increased their visitor numbers. And, I bet. Um, I bet. Like when you have like the kids and grandkids round, like do you do you have to be like keep away from the lightning? That is uh, no, not no, touchable. I, I, think, I think the lightning could stand up to the odd <laughs> kid, frankly. But uh, <laughs> no, no, we, we we do get people coming from all over the world. I've had people. Uh, the, the furthest was a chap from New Zealand. Um, wow. Came ended giving him dinner and putting up for the night, and um, oh. a, a young lad came over from Holland on a bike doing the Lincolnshire Airfield tour, and again <laughs> we ended up giving him dinner and putting him up for the night. Um, but uh, yeah, you'd need to be a pretty tough nut if you were going to make any impression on a lightning. That's for sure. Well, yeah, maybe I suppose so. Yeah. What about you, Steve? Like, do you do you remember the first time you saw the lightning? It's it's very difficult to say uh, what my first memory of the lightning um, was, um, because I was I was a small boy at the time in the eighties. I, I grew up. Um, it's more that I can remember as a small boy, these noisy aircraft flying over all the time, like Charles said, yeah. that, that was very was very common. Uh, I live in Waltham, which is six, seven miles maybe, as a right. crow flies from Binbrook. So it was very commonplace to to have the lightnings coming over both the house and, and my school. And <laughs> as, um, but that was good. Oh, it was, it was epic. I mean, I remember... <laughs> The lightnings in the, it was the good old days of the RAF when they would uh, do low flying over houses. Have a bit of fun, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I remember once in, um, in in school it was during register, a lightning came over, and it was really low. I mean, I don't know how low he was, but he was low. And when we yeah. went out to the playground, you could smell the the exhaust. Oh, you know, it, gosh. It, was, it was that low. And that's what they used to do. So really, as the 80s progressed um, towards really the end of the life of the lightning, um, I was a little bit older. And my dad used to take me down to Crashgate 3, and mm -hmm. the, the end of the runway on the threshold. So when they were landing, they would come over the car. So it's, it's that memory of my childhood. Right. Yeah. Which so I suppose, I suppose it's in a way, you know, a memory of, you know, growing up around these incredible things in the in the sky yeah. that just are just noise as you as you are at the time. You just see them as noise. But then as you grow up, you, I suppose, 
sort of gain a real affinity for yeah. them and love. Yeah. Um, which and I guess is why. Yeah, and, it, and it's an association with a, a memory, you know, of your of your father or your childhood or these strong memories. Um, and then it just becomes this this love affair. And it yeah. really, I suppose, the lightning for me, it kickstarted um, my love of all things aviation. Yes. It, it was really the the first aircraft that sort of made me aware of of aviation. Yeah, the industry and the, the industry um, and the RAF and and everything about it. But you know, I just remember yeah. as a kid laying in bed at night <laughs> and hearing hearing the lightning scramble. You know, what going, an amazing yeah, and what an amazing memory. It, it, it is an amazing memory, and uh, it's one that's never left me. And oh, I don't, I doubt it ever would, would it? No, no, no. I, I do count myself lucky that I do have these memories um, mm-hmm. where other people. You know, who are younger, they've never, never, never experienced it. You know, that's... No, you know, I've never seen one fly. Um, obviously, I've seen one in like Duxford on dis- on display or yeah, whatever. Yeah. But you know, um, growing up and having quite a big family involvement um, in the RAF, uh, my uh, pops used to be ground crew at Cottesmore. I think it was um, working with the Valiant. All right, um, and. So I have a small, you know, small thing with that. But then obviously generations of my family have been in the RAF and you get to sort of this this Cold War era where the Vulcan was coming in, the lightning. And it's just almost sort of, it's sad to see, to know that we just missed out on seeing those, like my generation, of course, who are now seeing things, as we say, like the typhoon, um, Eurofighter, I suppose, a bit earlier. You've got like the um, the Harrier. We're missing yep. out on those those first that first sort of generation of truly, truly jet powered yep. Cold War mean aircraft um, flying. Which I suppose you you guys you guys all have that, I, I guess. Yeah, I think the the generation coming along now um, they won't have that. You know, no, and I think that's why it's important, like, you know, the work you guys do in restoring them um, and showing and keeping the love alive, you know, yeah. um, similar to, you know, the Vulcan to the Skies Trust. They keep it, they might not be able to fly it, uh, but they're keeping that love alive to keep the the spirit of, of what these aircraft were alive, um, which I think is incredible. Just going back to sort of uh, Charles, tell us a bit more about the sort of like, you know, the history of the actual association, like... Uh, how did it come about? Because I don't. You weren't. You weren't the the founding members, were you, or were you? Pretty much. Uh, I think the founding members realised very rapidly that they generated a, a thing that was growing beyond their ability to manage. So right. I I came along at an early stage and very rapidly joined the executive team and um, rose. You know, be, you took on responsibilities and uh, here we are today. But originally, it was a hub for. Um, Information that it uh, disseminated, inf- collected and disseminated information, anything from current stories to photographs, uh, histories, that sort of thing. Um, mm. And uh, we ran a rally uh, every year up at the on the airfield uh, at Binbrook, which was at that time still in the uh, Ministry of Defence hands. And um, we uh, we we were basically 
uh, an information group. We, we published a magazine four times a year, 32-page okay. glossy magazine. I believe one of your previous editors praised it quite highly in the pages <laughs> of Flypost. And um, everything was going very well. But as as the years went on, the stories became fewer and mm. the, the decline in available new stories uh, yeah. coincided with a rally one, one summer when one of our members came to me in, in a bit of a shock uh, saying he had um, received the Ministry of Defence disposals list, which includes all sorts of military stuff, you know, from a, a seal to a frigate. And um, he uh, put in what he thought was a silly bid for a lightning that was currently at uh, RAF Shawbury and was horrified to receive um, a letter from the Ministry of Defence saying, congratulations on your successful <laughs> bid. Uh, you are now the proud owner of a, oh, a lightning. And by the way, and as, as with all Ministry uh, of Defence uh, acquisitions, you have 28 days to remove it. Otherwise, <gasps> we start charging you huge amounts of money for uh, for storage and looking after it. And um, he was he was a panic because see, he was way out of his depth after doing something a bit quixotic. So uh, we all got a bunch of we had to act quickly. We were we were fortunate that we had so many guys there on the day that were central yeah. to uh, lightning um, interests. So we got a bunch together, put in some money, bought, agreed to take over the contract, bought it from him sent down a team of engineers to Shawbury uh, to assess it for cutting the wings and fin off to move it. Mm. And they came back and reported it was in brilliant condition and could we we could recover it for flight and fly it back right. into Bindram. So, um, I mean, it's a bit of a long story in itself, but cutting it as short as possible, I contacted the MOD guys who were civilians and they said, no, you've got to get it out. I said, we, we, we can recover this given mm -hmm. time and fly it. Uh, yeah. And they refused to give us any time. So I then contacted the base commander and he said, yep, that's fine. I, as long as I'm commander of this base, your airplane can stay here as long as you like. Uh, get your engineers down. And so we did. We fitted it. We, we, we had no engine. It, it had no engines. So we, we acquired engines and fitted them. It had no ejection seat. So we acquired <laughs> an ejection seat and uh, fitted that. We, well, we, and that we was have, the first. That was a lot, of, a lot of RAF help, you know, from guys who were currently members of that. Uh, and then we tried to get permission to fly it from the CAA and the CAA wouldn't let us fly it because we are basically a group of amateurs and, um, well. <laughs> you know, they, they were thinking if these idiots put um, this thing into a centre of population with fully loaded fuel tanks, who's going to carry the can? It, I, I mean, on the face of it, it sounds mean, but then when you think of it, it's actually a bit like... Maybe, yeah, I can see a bit what they're saying here. <laughs> well, yes, they've all got pensions and families and mortgages like everybody. And uh, But anyway, I, I, again, cutting a long story short, I wrote to the chairman of British Airspace at that time, Sir Graham Day, and I got a letter back, you know, asking if there was any mechanism within the company by which we could fly this aeroplane. And mm -hmm. uh, he wrote back saying, uh, dear Mr. Ross, I have... Um, I placed my asked my military aircraft division to place themselves at your disposal to oh how amazing to recover your lightning from Shawbury to RAF Bindrook and uh, on and the day the rest we is did history it. so to speak the rest is history and at that point our focus began to change from being um, uh, you know a centre of information which which we still are 
And, and yeah. that function that still continues, but we're now far more focused uh, on the engineering side of things. And that's where people like Steve and John come in. Uh, I was going to say... So Maintain- speaking, yeah, I was just saying maintaining the aeroplane. We can't fly it because yeah. the airfield's now been sold uh, into right. private ownership, and the runway and peri track have been dug up. But we can operate it to the extent that we could run the engines, for example. So in ter- in terms of if you had the capability, for example, if the if the runway was still there, is it airworthy? Uh, well, air- airworthy is uh, dependent on having uh, full service schedules, checks, right. uh, inspections, and all that sort of thing. Uh, I mean, for example, when the when the Vulcan flew in into private ownership, it was airworthy mm. while it was in the air. The moment its main wheels kissed the ground, it was no longer airworthy and couldn't be flown. Um, right. Uh, it's 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 purely dependent on having the appropriate paperwork, the appropriate servicing schedules, all that kind of stuff. So in reality, there's a big difference between what we were doing, which was taxiing it on the ground, to mm-hmm. getting the main wheels to have daylight between them and the concrete. Um, right. It, it, it so- has... Just sorry, just just sort of talking as we're as we're sort of touching on the engineering side of things with Steve and John. Uh, John, let's let's start with you, I guess. Um, what what would you say are the sort of uh, you know the best bits to to do in the restoration process, or the hardest bits? You know, uh, do some bits take longer than others? What's what's the sort of what's your opinion on that sort of side of things? Well, th- there's a lot of um... As you can, complex uh, equipment on the lighting. Um, mm. And as you can imagine, uh, parts are today are not manufactured anymore. So we're looking at manufacturing pieces, little bits and bobs that we have to do to keep the bits that, that need servicing. Mm. Uh, if you can't get hold of the, hold of the part, uh, you have to mend the part that's on the aircraft. There's no other way. There is no other spares. You have to do that. So that's one of the hard parts of it. Right. Um, probably the best part of it, though, is to do with a working together as a team, as a dedicated team of volunteers, because we're all volunteers, we're all non-paid on this. And uh, knowing that, I suppose you're in a in a group of uh, uh, like fellow lightning lovers, I guess is, yeah, is one it, of those. It, it is a love hate relationship um, <laughs> try, trying to uh, engineer a lightning. Uh, <laughs> somebody once said it's like decorating your hallway and staircase through your letterbox. <laughs> it is a bit like that. Um, you need to be uh, nearly a monkey with two broken arms to get to uh, most of the components that are in there. You right. need a sense of humour. You do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine there's been many a crossword between some of you at some points, but um, we won't repeat those for the no. listeners right now. <laughs> no. um, what about you, Steve? What What are your sort of um, you know best and worst bits? I think... Um... The best bit is the problem solving, because we're right. not we're not the RAF. We haven't got a hangar. We haven't got all the equipment necessarily that the RAF would have had. So yeah. it's about thinking about a problem and, and applying yourself, and then right. coming up with a solution. Sort of like with, a, sort of like how people would you know do a puzzle in their spare time, yeah. but you're doing it on a much more expensive and basically <laughs> grand <yeah>. scale. <laughs> yeah, well, you have to. You have to do it carefully because mm-hmm. the there's sometimes the spares are limited or non-existent, so you don't want to actually make a problem a worse. Error. So you have to I be, see. you know, careful in what you do and think about your approach. 
So for me, I think, and I would dare say the other guys, I speak for them, um, that they get a lot of satisfaction out of solving a problem mm-hmm. and, and knowing what we've done with what we've got, yeah. which sometimes so, isn't much. Obviously, you guys, like, I'm not excluding Charles here, but obviously you guys are the sort of on the engineering side of things. Um, Steve, you mentioned that, you know, there's some really difficult bits to get. I assume you're, you know, still struggling now. Is there anything that you're struggling to get at the minute that you just need for... It would be quite interesting for our listeners to, because, you know, people go into their gar- their garages and they're like, oh, yep. look at this nut and bolt that, yep. for example, um, is what what sort of things are you are you looking for? What's that sort of side of things? Well, we, we do have a lot of spares, um, but of course, a problem crops up now and again and you just haven't got that bit. And, and right. there's one there's one bit on the top of our list which are absolutely crying out for, and it's what we call the the Risbridger. Right, um, what does that do? Well, basically, it's a connector. It's a connector for the OM15 hydraulic fluid. So right. what we need to do is get this connector so we can top the aircraft up with hydraulic fluid. Okay. And, and at the minute, we haven't got one. So and what? And you just it's just impossible to to sort of locate and find. It's very very difficult to find one. There's there's people think they might get one, but you know they draw a blank. Um, so if anybody out there has one in the shout shed, out, <laughs> shout paper, out to all yeah, the hoarders. <laughs> it's a paperweight, you know, on on their <laughs> office desk. Um, they used to be in the RAF, and they took a souvenir. That kind of thing. Because somebody out there has got one. And, well, and yeah, we I mean, they can't surely have gone. We, we, we need it. The, you know, we need to top up the hydraulic pressure in the aircraft. Right. So without this part, we are eventually going to be stumped. So we do so need have you one. So have you had quite a lot of people that have, like, contributed um, to the efforts so far? And, like, Absolutely, Because I yeah. can imagine, as I, as I said, it's quite a, it must be quite an expensive venture. And with you guys being volunteers... I suppose you you can only put so much of your own money into it before you yeah. end up not being able to you know, afford food. Um, so yeah, where I mean, is that balance? In we, you? We're not, we are all volunteers. We don't get paid. You know, we right. want to stress that we're not, you know, we, we do contribute our time, which is mm-hmm. a valuable commodity in its own right. Um, but, you know, people have in the past, it was one of our colleagues, Dave, Dave Smith, he, he did a Just Giving page. And okay. He um, he raised a thousand pound, which oh, amazing. Yeah, which was going towards the paints that because in the mm-hmm. future we do plan on, on repainting the aircraft. Um, we should have got Captain Tom onto it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> Captain Tom should have, he should have been doing his walking, walking oh, for the lightning. <laughs> um, but um, so yeah, we, you know, there's people contributed money that way. It's also eBay. You know, I I did yeah. sell a lot of items. Just merchandise um, right. on eBay, so we raised a bit of money that way. Um, so I just take the opportunity to thank those people who did, of course, yeah, buy things off eBay um, and also gave on the Just Giving page. You know, we've we spent some of the money already on pieces of equipment, um, pumps. Um, yeah, it's really sort of put you in a fluid. bit of a better. Play- well, hydraulic fluid for the for the. <laughs> 
for the hydraulics that you can't necessarily run at the minute. But. Yeah, but you know, sometimes you, you get the opportunity to buy stuff and you've yeah. got to seize, seize it. So that's that's what we've done. Um, I mean, some of the stuff we buy, it's not very exciting, but it's very no. important to what we, we're doing. Of course it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I remember walking through uh, the hangar at Bingham Hill and one of the guys there said to me, you know, you would not believe just how important a single nut is on an aircraft and it's not the things you think of is it it's not the you know it's not the exciting things like the engines and whatever but i can imagine to you guys it's like gold dust sometimes yeah it is um and it's surprising because i've i've learned a lot from john you know talking about spares Um, Mm -hmm. and seals seems to be um one thing that crops up now and again you know, people right. say, oh, why why can't you dismantle a Lightning and take it somewhere else where it's got a runway? But that Lightning... It's not that easy, though. No, it's not. And that Lightning flew in. So as it stands now, all the seals are intact. And, if and it you needs break, to be able to fly out, which you can't necessarily do. Well, you, you, you could break it down for road transportation if you're going to do it properly, but it would take a long time and a lot of people to do that. Okay. But you're going to break seals. And you, you, yeah. there's no replacements for those seals, and people don't realise yeah. that. So, so it's like a, it's like a balancing. Yeah. It's like a balancing act, really, isn't it? What can you sort of sacrifice that you could maybe get your hands on a bit easier, and what could you just not bear to sacrifice? For example, as you say, the seals, or if yeah. you ever got this ridge, wrist bridge apart, wrist bridge, can't say it. Then, then you just couldn't do anything that would perhaps put that at risk. Um, which I think is really interesting, actually. I think quite a lot of, you know, our listeners, um, quite they do wonder about the restoration process. Um, yeah. Obviously, in the magazine, you've got restoration scene and all that sort of stuff. And it's it's really good to be able to hear the voices of the people who are behind these restorations, because at the end of the day, you know, it it does take a lot of time and effort out of all of your lives. And to be able to put so much volunteer work into something that essentially the only thing you're getting back from it is the love of the aircraft, I guess, and seeing it in this, in this condition. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's really great to be able to, to chat to you guys about that. I do have one final thing that I'd like to ask you all, cause I'm a little bit of a trivia, trivia nerd. Um, so in one sentence, if each of you could restore any other aircraft, obviously I understand that Charles isn't an engineer, but if he could be involved in it, uh, what would it be and why? Let's start with Charles, then we'll go to John, and then we'll go to Steve. Well, um, I would say, it's, but this is going to be a slightly unusual one, I would say a Messerschmitt 262. It was Ooh, the, good choice. It was the first of the combat jets. Um, it was one of the greatest, and uh, it's just a beautiful airplane. There are some airplanes that just people... that. that the form follows function and the form is just a perfection and to my, to my mm. eye at any rate uh, the 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 shape and the the whole uh, image of the Messerschmitt 262 is just a beautiful beautiful bit of kit and I'd love one it is I agree what what about you John well it would have been TSR2 right but we haven't got that, as you know. <laughs> That's, uh, that would have been English Electric's ultimate dream, really, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, but failing Bless that, <laughs> failing that, I think it's going to have to. I'm going to have to say the Vulcan because, say, it's the right ear with the choice. lightning. 
it, you, you imagine, you know, two lightnings, one on either side of the Vulcan, following it, getting fuel. You can't, you can just, you can just see that. Listeners of the Fly Pass podcast will know by now that I'm slightly obsessed with the Vulcan. Like it's a running theme throughout the, this is like the 15th episode. And if it's not, if I'm in it and I haven't said I love the Vulcan at least once, then it's not a good day for me. So yeah. I completely agree with you there, John. How about you, Steve? This is a really difficult one. Um, <laughs> is it just one choice? One choice. <laughs> one choice. Um, okay, I'll I'll go for the Hawker Typhoon. Oh, okay. I think because yeah. I mean I love anything World War Two as well, and mm-hmm. the Hawker Typhoon. It's currently an extinct aircraft. There's I was going to say there's like one or two, isn't there? There's left two or something still silly. to fly. There's one in this country. There's one in Canada. Um, Mm -hmm. and they will fly one day. But it's the sound of the, I think it's the Mm. Napier Sabre engine, 24 cylinders, and it just looks warlike and brutish. Yeah. And it it did such an important job in in Normandy, in in France. And I think that's what a lot of people forget, don't they? They're sort of like, oh, yeah, spitfires, hurricanes, and then you're like, yeah, but you're... You typhoons. Yeah, just just remember what those did. Well, um, you know, thank you so much for joining me, guys. It's been such, it's been so lovely to be able to chat to you. Um, And, you know, I think I speak on behalf of many, many, many listeners out there who have an affinity and a love for the English Electric Lightning that we all really appreciate what you're doing. It's such a, such a great thing to be able to sort of be involved with and chat to you guys about. Um, So, yeah just thank you all obviously thank you all for listening as well this has been the fly past podcast and we will speak to you again next week thank you thank you thanks bye 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 this has been a podcast from key aero your aviation destination remember visit www.key.aero for more of the same thanks for stopping by and we hope to catch up with you again soon.